You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Good morning, Redemption Hill Church. Uh, Thanks for being here. It is so great to be here. Um, I'd rather, even though i got this big tree right in front of most of you, (laughs) And I understand you're in the shade. I'd rather be here uh, than at home in the AC, you know, watching this on, you know, the screen. So it is great to see you. It's great to fellowship with you. And again, in these unique times. Um, and I also want to say, hey, thanks for being flexible. Uh, like I said, these are weird times and, and flexibility is just so helpful, especially as we navigate these things. So I'm going to pray. And then um, you can go ahead and sit. I'm sorry. Uh, please sit. I'm going to go ahead and pray. And then we're just going to get into today's message. Heavenly Father, indeed we thank you that you are a good God. You are a good God who works in our lives so that we in our own lives can glorify you and bring you praise. Indeed, you are worthy of all praise. And, I, and the prayer right now for us, for this church, that by the power of the Holy Spirit that we're going to read about today in Acts 16, we'd be working in and through us, and that we indeed would be paying attention to what you are saying to us through your word as the Spirit guides and governs. And so we come right now and submit ourselves to what you have already spoken and what you continue to say. And we trust that you are here for our good and for the honor and glory of your name. Amen. Well, thanks again for being here. If you got your Bible, you can open it up to Acts 16. Uh, We continue to go through our sermon series, The World Turned Upside Down, uh, to remind you of kind of the premise of this sermon series, is that God is on mission to redeem His elect people through Jesus Christ, and that as that happens, individual lives are turned upside down. Indeed, communities are turned upside down as churches are planted and become outposts for communities. And we see that in Acts, and we continue to see that as God continues to advance His kingdom throughout this entire world. So that's kind of the overarching premise of the sermon series. And so indeed, as you all know, it's, it, you know, the way we go through the books of the Bible, it takes a while. Uh, we got 28 chapters in the book of Acts, probably on message 30 or somewhere around there, and we're in Acts 16. But as we all know, God, every word in this book is intentional, and it's worth evaluating and looking and digging and looking under and seeing what God has. So Acts 16, verses 1 to 15. Paul also came to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was also a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them 
for observance and decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 11, we're in the home stretch here. So in setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samarith, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed, where there was supposed to be a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention what was being said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A longer passage um, in in relationship to um, a lot of other uh, ways we've gone about Acts. But as you can see, there's a lot going on. There's, again, a lot of movement. You know, one of the mantras of Redemption Hill Church is that we are all on God's mission to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to our, to our families, to our neighbors, our co-workers, to this country, and to the nations. We believe that we have one of the most precious, we have the most precious message to share. And if you agree to be on God's mission, you lay down your life for the mission. If you believe the message is that valuable, then you believe the mission is valuable, and you say, I'm going to lay it all down because this is greater than me. So we lay down our preferences, worldly desires. Why? For the sake of God and His gospel. Uh, For example, here is a shadow of the reality that I see in the Christian life. I've always appreciated how many of our American military personnel go all in on protecting this country and the ideals of this country. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Many of you know those words. In the same way, Christians, we were called to be even more committed to God's ideals. Not merely passive, but active. Active in pursuing these ideals. You know, you got life, but what about eternal life? 
we got liberty, but what does it mean to lay down your Christian liberty for the gospel? What does it mean to pursue telling others about Jesus? These words of our Lord Jesus have been on the tip of the Apostle Paul's tongue as he traversed through the Mediterranean region. Here's Luke 9, verse 24. Jesus says this, and Paul surely knew these words. For whoever would save his life, you know it, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. We just sang, it, just, it occurred to me as we were singing, Rain in Us, this particular course. I'm not going to sing it because I'm not going to do that to you. But we, we sang this together. O great and mighty one, with one desire we come that you would reign, that you would reign in us. We're offering up what our lives as a, what, a living sacrifice. Not that we would reign in ourselves, not that one of you would reign in me, but that God would reign in our lives. That we, as a result, would lay down our life for Jesus and for God's mission. Yes, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about being saved from hell, from judgment and, and eternal separation from God. It is also about being saved to Jesus and to eternal life with Jesus. But it's also living each moment of each day for Jesus. What we see in Acts this morning is that Paul didn't just preach the gospel to see people saved. That was definitely the primary focus, but it wasn't just that. But he also goes back to places he preached so that he could help new Christians grow in their relationship with Jesus. He, and more significantly, God, wants all Christians to mature and grasp this particular truth that we read in this passage. We're all called to lay it down for Jesus. I've made uh, this analogy before. Imagine you're playing poker. I'm not a poker player. If I was, I'd get creamed. I don't got the face. I'd let you know what I got in my hand, so I don't do it. But just imagine you're a poker player. Maybe, maybe, perhaps you're playing me. And then there's a moment while playing the game where you know that you kind of need to go all in. You got the hand. You shouldn't go partially in or mostly in, but all in on laying it down. You lay it all down for Jesus. The book of Acts urges us to go all in. Don't hold anything back. To keep a few poker chips back just in case actually shows you don't completely trust God. There's only one way to be on God's mission. Everything goes in the middle. So the question that comes up in light of what I've said is this. What does it look like to go all in? Great, Pastor Sean, he told me to go all in. Put all the chips in the middle. What does that even mean? What does that look like? It's the right question, especially if what we've seen about the gospel in Acts 15 is true. If the gospel of free grace causes a cold, dead heart to become alive, then what are the results? What happens next? I think we see a few things in this text. Here's how I'm going to articulate it this morning. What are the characteristics 
of a Christian going all in. Right? What are the characteristics of a Christian going all in? From Acts 16, we see what it looks like to live out the gospel. It does not matter if you are newer to the Christian faith. It doesn't matter if you've been walking with the Lord for years. All Christians can place themselves in front of this text. All Christians can can see what it looks like to be on God's mission to see the gospel advance with an individual life. This is what it looks like. Here's a quick reminder of what we saw last week. This is a quick review. Last week we saw how this sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas led to their divergence. Ryan had mentioned that. They had been on God's mission together, but due to their disagreement about John Mark, they went their separate ways, but in God's providence, all is not lost at all. Far from it, actually. God uses their disagreement to create separate missions. One of the application points from last week is that even though Paul and Barnabas disagreed, they remained on the same mission. In God's sovereign plan, he uses their disagreement for his good purposes. As the story picks up in Acts 16, Paul and his companions are now in Derby in Lystra. Paul is back in the cities he had first evangelized. Now here's an observation I think I want to make before we begin looking at these characteristics. It's an observation that can strengthen your trust in the Bible and what we read in the pages of Scripture. It's been said that the book of Acts is one of the most historically accurate documents from antiquity, right? Uh, Regardless of what a person thinks about the message of Acts, it's historically valid, and it's highlighted in the details of of this document. For example, look at the mention of all the cities and territories Paul and his companions visited. I don't know if you noticed that as we were reading it, as I was reading it. I mean, it's, it's stunning how he chronicles all the places he was at. Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Jerusalem, Phrygia, Galatia, Asia, Mysia, Bithynia, Macedonia, Troas. I'm going to mess up this one because I've tried it 15 times. Samothrace, Neapolis, Philippi, and Thyatira. You know, admittedly, I had a bit of travel whiplash as I was like reading this. They seem to be going at breakneck speed. You know, it would have been not much different if I would have chronicled for you the times that my wife and I traveled between the Twin Cities and Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, while, we were in, while I was in seminary, we'd go back and forth. And it'd be like me saying, hey, we, we went through Chicago and then Indianapolis. And, they, and then we went over, uh, over to Cincinnati, then south to Lexington, Kentucky. From Lexington, Kentucky, we went over to Charleston, West Virginia, south to Winston-Salem, and finally east to Raleigh. A person does not chronicle these details unless they are true. Even the best of nonfiction novels do not have the details of Luke while having the archaeological evidence to back up what he is what he's communicating. I, I bring this up because what I'm saying about the message of Acts is backed up by the details of Acts. We're not reading a fairy tale. It's not make-believe. The details are true. And if the details are true, then the message is accurate. If the message is accurate, then the characteristics we read about the Christian life need to be reflected in our lives. So now let's look at those 
particular characteristics. I'm going to mention three from these 15 verses. Characteristics of the Christian life. Characteristics that we can trust are good for our life. The first characteristic we read about the Christian life is discipleship. Without a doubt, we see from the Pauline epistles, Paul's commitment to discipleship. For Paul, for God, more importantly, discipleship isn't as much of a category or program in a local church, but it's just being Christian. So when Paul arrives in Lystra and meets a young man named Timothy, he naturally invites him on mission. It says in verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. I'll talk more about Timothy's circumcision in a moment. But first see Paul's intentionality to disciple Timothy. Shortly after I I became a Christian, um, a gentleman who's about seven or eight years older than me kind of took me under his wing, uh, a man I respect and I'm thankful for. Uh, He he allowed me into his personal space. There there was no program that I got involved in, but he said, you know what? I'm going to come alongside you, help you read the scriptures, talk about the Christian faith, talk about where you've been and where you're at. And then one time, he, he invited me on vacation with him, me and his entire family. They went out east. He's like, come with. And it was amazing to see him as a Christian father, especially as a young man, as a father and as a husband, and more importantly, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, my, my friend's invitation and Paul's invitation sometimes feels unnatural to us, perhaps, Sometimes you don't allow people into our space. All you introverts, you know what I'm talking about. You know, we have fences between yards. Some people live in the country. This guy, you know, like when the closest neighbor's like, what, honey, about half a mile away. Now, I'm not I'm nothing against fences or space between homes, but we have to acknowledge the barriers we put up even with people in our own church because we are at times uncomfortable with people in our space. You know, to be honest, it's on this point because this really shapes discipleship in a church, but it's on this point where the American church can learn a lot about discipleship from cultures who are not conditioned to think it's more important for a person to have a home to retreat into as, oppo- as opposed to having a home that is a haven for others to come into. Uh, every, every time I've traveled to Africa, whether it be Uganda, uh, Zambia, Rwanda, uh, other places in uh, South America, it's amazing to me how the doors are flung wide open. And what, what, what I've what observed there is truly remarkable. We have young men, who are, young men and women who are coming in and just watching, observing, listening, asking questions, having dialogue. Discipleship is just naturally taking place. You have older men and women who love the Lord who are saying, you know what, I'm here for you. I'm available for you. We have a lot to learn from other cultures when it comes to discipleship. If it's merely a program, oftentimes it never gets done. 
I should add this as it pertains to discipleship. Parents, you are called by God to disciple your children. God has entrusted you to nurture and care for their souls. It's even interesting that Paul looks at Timothy, who is a lot younger, as his adopted child. Paul calls him his true child in the faith, 1 Timothy verse, chapter 1, verse 2. Fathers and mothers, remember God has put you in place to disciple your children. But obviously, discipleship is not limited to families and people in ministry, right? It happens in our community groups. Part of why we've started with community groups almost from the very beginning, because that's where discipleship takes place. We didn't call it discipleship groups, but it's naturally happening. You know, discipleship happens when friends sit on a patio Talk about life together. Talk about Jesus together. Discipleship really has no boundaries. And we want it to be the part of the culture of this church. We want to see the characteristic here. We want to see what Paul is doing here and say, Ah, I want that here. Timothy is indeed Paul's most beloved disciple. He actually wrote two letters to Timothy where the thrust of the letters is to instruct him about life and in particular pastoral ministry. Even when Timothy was not at Paul's side, he was being discipled. Paul never held back on that. He leaned into it constantly. And if there's one word I want to connect with discipleship, it's just to be intentional In the pages of Scripture, we see the intentionality of Paul in his relationship with Timothy and many others. You know, even look at the Gospels, for example. What do we see Jesus doing? Uh, You 12, you're coming with me. You're going to hang out with me. We're going to eat together. We're going to do the same things together. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to instruct you. And Jesus isn't going to give up on him either. So here's a takeaway from verses 1 to 5. The Christian life is discipleship. You don't need a program, but you are made to walk with others and have others walk with you. Christian discipleship is about walking with one another as we walk with Jesus. We don't need to overcomplicate Christian discipleship, but we need to be intentional. That's the first characteristic that I read here in Acts 16, verses 1 to 15. Before moving to that second characteristic, I can't move on without mentioning the circumcision of Timothy. That seems a bit out of place. Uh, Didn't the Jerusalem council in Acts 15 just say, hey, you don't need to be circumcised? (laughs) What's going on here? And now Paul's like, Timothy, we got to circumcise you, man. What? What? Here's, here's the deal. Timothy is the product of a mixed marriage, as we read in the text. His mom was a Jew who had become a Christian, and his dad was a Greek. But by all accounts, Timothy, by virtue of his mom, would have been considered a Jew by the Jewish community. Nonetheless, it's likely that his Greek father did not want him to be circumcised. So you kind of see the dynamics in the family here. Dad ultimately ruled the day. He's like, uh-uh, we ain't going there. But the Jewish community is like, ah, he's one of us. Timothy 
is circumcised not because, not because it's demanded on him to be a Christian, but he is circumcised so that he will be a better Christian witness to the Jewish community. Again, I won't belabor this point because we talked about it the last two weeks. But following Jesus is greater than our preferences and our liberty, right? Disciples of Jesus Christ should not quibble, but we need to be willing to give up everything for King Jesus. For Timothy, it's not about being circumcised or not being circumcised. It's about laying down his freedom so that he can tell others about true freedom through Jesus Christ. It's like, okay, if I need to get circumcised so that I can tell them about Jesus, go get the knife. I might regret that line later. Yet it's not explicit in this passage. But we can imagine Paul helping Timothy, a younger man, process this decision. Which again is another picture of what discipleship could look like. Really think you need to do this and here's why. Here's how we apply the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second characteristic of the Christian life is seen in verses 6 to 10. We're just kind of going through the passage systematically. The characteristic is listening and then following the Holy Spirit. Here are verses 6 and 7. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, all these towns and cities. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go. You know, I've said in the past that the book of Acts could very well be called the book of the Holy Spirit. From chapter 1 to chapter 28, we read about how the Holy Spirit is leading the charge and the advancement of the kingdom of God through the preaching of the gospel. In this passage, we read the Holy Spirit preventing Paul from going to a specific place. They tried to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit was like, no. They tried to go to Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit again said, no. The question I do need to raise from these verses is this. Does the Holy Spirit continue to guide and direct God's children as he did in Acts? The answer is yes. He does. Now first and foremost, God leads and guides us through his word, the Bible. Second, there is nothing to suggest in Scripture that the Holy Spirit, the living and active third person of the Trinity, functions any different between the first century and right now. But I want to submit to you that God, the Holy Spirit, does not have the problem speaking, but oftentimes we have the problem listening. God has spoken. He continues to speak. But are we listening? And then are we obeying? For a moment, consider all that goes on in your life. My life, your life. Compound all your responsibilities with what you put in front of your eyes and into your ears. You know, I don't think COVID-19 has slowed us down, although this weather might. That's just rolling in. If somebody want to get me a weather update, that'd be great. I'll preach until somebody tells me no. 30 minutes or less. Here we go. The simple point to be made with that second characteristic is 
you guys know this, we're so busy. I don't know about you, but I, I feel more busy since COVID-19. I feel more distracted. With COVID-19, and I think I'm on a screen a lot more, which means, as you all know, more distractions. And what happens when we allow ourselves and don't discipline ourselves? We don't listen to God. We don't listen to God the Holy Spirit. And that's why I emphasize one of the characteristics of the Christian life is that we've got to listen to what the Spirit is saying, but it also means we've got to put away distractions. We've got to put away distractions. I'm like, here's a promise I would stand by 100%, 100%. If you do feel stuck, if you believe your life would be, you need to be revolutionized somehow, you know, be intentional to be with God, the Holy Spirit. Be intentional. Let me say it this way. How do you know where to go or what to do if you're not listening to God, right? I get convicted by that thought. He has spoken and continues to speak, and he wants you to listen, and God wants you to see what he is saying. If we're truly on God's mission to reach others with the gospel, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit speaks, we've got to respond. He wants us to respond faithfully. After Paul was forbidden twice by the Holy Spirit to eventually uh, go into these particular regions, he gets a vision in verse 9. The vision was the answer to his question, where do I go? (laughs) Paul is going to tread more ground, but what's interesting is he treads ground to the eastern parts of what we know to be Europe. And what's really interesting is that these places Paul wanted to go, in God's providence, Peter ended up there. So God's plan is at work, even though sometimes we don't always see it. He's just asking us to follow him. God is providentially at work to see the good news go forward to every crevice crevice and crack on this earth. So may we also be discipling disciples of Jesus Christ, learning to listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So that's the second characteristic. First one, um, discipleship. Second one, hearing the Holy Spirit. Third one is this. And this characteristic, um, we've seen it all throughout the pages of the book of Acts. And it's again here in verses 11 to 15. In verse 11, we read, their travels end up in the region of Macedonia and in this major city called Philippi, the same city Paul writes a letter to and is now in your Bible. Again, notice the intentionality of Paul. When he arrives in Philippi, he goes to the place where he knows people are gathering. It's likely that at this time in Philippi, a local synagogue was not established, which would have been Paul's custom, but Jews still gathered to pray. Paul joined the prayer meeting. He's like, where's everybody at? All right, I'm going to go over there. At the prayer meeting, he shares how the Son of God, Jesus, took on flesh. Jesus lived the perfect and righteous life. Jesus took the hard road no one else could take. Although innocent, he died as a criminal and with criminals. However, it had always been a part of God's plan to grant forgiveness of sins to people through his death on the cross. And the story does not end with forgiveness. To demonstrate he is God and he has the power over death and sin, Jesus rose from death to life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ confirms what is said about him in the Old Testament. His resurrection validates everything Jesus taught during his earthly ministry. Those who have faith in Jesus 
now have God, the Holy Spirit, in them, leading, guiding, governing, securing, comforting, showing opportunities to share this good news with other people. Of course, the Apostle Paul would have spoken it more eloquently than I, but he shared the gospel in that little prayer meeting. While it's likely um, not all responded positively to Paul, one person did respond. And as we read, her name is Lydia. And it says in verse 14, she opened her heart to the message. The salvation of Lydia likely resulted in the birth of the first church in the city of Philippi. Lydia didn't become a pastor, but she was a businesswoman of great financial means. She would have leveraged her finances for kingdom work. As I said earlier, she would have gone all in on kingdom work. It's clear the power of God was at work in her life. She was immediately baptized. She got saved and was baptized. And then she tells Paul and his companions, Hey, come to my house. Come to my house so I can host you. It's like the hospitality switch went on with Lydia. She was so thrilled. You know, more can be said about Lydia's conversion, but I, I want to highlight the third characteristic for the Christian life. You are called by God to share the gospel. It seems like I keep beating this drum, right? But that's what we keep seeing in Acts. You and I are called by God to share the gospel. You can't save anyone, but God wants to use you just as He used Paul to save. A, a person who is on the path of discipleship, who is listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, is going to find one opportunity after another to tell others about what it means to have a relationship with God through the saving power of faith in Jesus Christ. You all can name names in your head right now of people who do not know the Lord. A neighbor, a co-worker, that person on the Zoom call. <laughs> I want to encourage you to pray for them and be bold to potentially share the gospel with them. That is indeed a characteristic of the Christian life. So discipleship, listening to the Holy Spirit and obeying the Holy Spirit and telling others about Jesus. There is a lot God says to us from this passage. We can look at these characteristics of the Christian life and say, where do I begin, right? If God is desiring that my life be shaped in this particular way, where do I even begin? Here's my recommendation. This would be application, perhaps. For the next six days, focus on one of these particular characteristics for your individual life. For the next six days. Is God challenging you to walk with someone who's in a tough spot? Are you going to disciple in that particular way? Is God challenging you to identify and then walk with someone who's just going through a tough season? Come alongside that individual. Or is God challenging you to let other people into your life because you're in a tough spot, right? You need a little discipling right now. 
Two more questions. Do you need to remove distractions so that you can focus on hearing from God? I'm not going to take a poll. I'll just take it with me, but I could raise my hand there. Like, you get rid of my sports, guess what? I'm still distracted. Do you need to remove distractions so that you can focus on hearing from God, the Holy Spirit? Last question. Is there someone God is calling you to tell others, to, to tell about Jesus? Is God prodding you to indeed evangelize? Again, characteristics of the Christian life. I don't recommend tackling them all, all at once. That could be a little daunting, but just take one of them and be like, you know what, I'm going to focus on that one for the next six days. Make it manageable, six days. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to work, work, work on being less distracted and spend more time with God. Maybe pursue discipleship in some capacity. Just take one. We all can take one of these questions and work toward an answer. We all can continue to grow and walk with the Lord by being on His great gospel mission. And we all, we all can take the chips that we have in front of us at the poker table and we can put them all in the middle for our good and for the honor and glory of our God. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.